name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I envy tidy people. I aspire to be a tidy person. I am not one. Um, I am well aware of this fact. I am not a tidy person, but it's been a long-time goal of mine to become one. And for a selfish reason, really. I just love the feeling I get when I walk into a tidy space. Um, I like it. I love the way that uncluttered spaces make me feel. Um, even more than tidy, I like minimalist spaces. Some people don't like minimalism. This is where there's just the very basic kind of parts in a room. You know, a, a sofa, a coffee table, a lamp, and nothing else. Now, a lot of people feel that that's cold and uninviting. I don't. I feel like there's space to think and to, to move and to breathe. I, I like that sort of thing. Um, I like that sleek, kind of clean look. It just it appeals to me for some reason. And it doesn't matter to me whether it's Scandinavian or Asian minimalist. I like them equally a lot. Uh, but I've learned recently that these two different philosophies kind of come from very different backgrounds. The European Scandinavian minimalist is a view of, of having just a few pieces of whatever it is in a room that are quality, that, that, that you focus on the items that are there because of their, their aesthetic quality. Whereas with Asian minimalists, it's a, a basic philosophy about um, eschewing uh, material things, to, to get away from possessions, to have very little possessions because there's a, a greater sense of, uh, of open spirituality with minimalists. So they come from different kind of backgrounds. They sort of get to the same end result. I've mentioned Marie Kondo before. She's an author and I guess you'd call her a lifestyle consultant. She's Japanese and so obviously from a, um, an Asian minimalist kind of approach. And her, um, her best-selling books worldwide, um, is called the, um, the life-changing magic of tidying up. I haven't bought it. Um, but, but only because then I would have more guilt. Um, because I, as I said, I'm not a tidy person. Uh, but Marie Kondo sort of merges both the Asian and the sort of European influences of minimalism. And so she's sort of caught hold worldwide because of this. And she makes an argument that too many possessions leads to unhappiness. She says to have too much stuff leads to unhappiness. For instance, let's just say a person had a collection of, I don't know, 40 sweaters. Okay? You had 40 sweaters. You couldn't wear 40 sweaters over the course of a winter. You'd think you might, but you wouldn't. Um, you, you would have too many sweaters. You would probably only wear a half a dozen or so of them. And what Marie Kondo would say is pick out the ones that you really like, the ones that spark joy. Keep those, get rid of the rest, because the rest are just cluttering up your life. They're filling up your space. They're creating anxiety and unhappiness. Get rid of them and just keep the ones you like in the first place. And so this meek, little, soft-spoken, she doesn't even speak English very well, just a few words, um, 
And yet she has this whole cottage industry around the world about how to straighten up and tidy up and declutter one's life. She even has a series on Netflix where she goes into people's homes and does this, helps them to declutter. And I thought about this week, I'd like to be like Marie Kondo. I would like to be like that. Um, I like to have tidy spaces and a tidy life, but I'm not. I'm, 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 you know, I'm constitutionally dispossessed to go the opposite direction. Um, what's more, I don't know what I would do with my stuff. You know, maybe you have this. Like, I, I have stuff. I have lots of it, and I like it. And I'm not sure what I would ever get rid of. I looked at her website though this week, Marie Kondo. And there's a store online where she sells everything from soap to cocktail napkins. And I thought, very clever, Marie. Very clever. You're selling stuff that you're going to go around and teach us how to get rid of. It's sort of a, you know, like a baked in kind of industry right there. But the fact of the matter is we like stuff, don't we? We do. We like our stuff. And, and you should see, you should watch some of the episodes when she goes into these homes. These people have this sort of, um, you know, they're, they're filled, their houses are filled with stuff and they can't get rid of anything because they're attached to it. Um, the, the, they make us feel secure somehow and yet at the same time crowded. So what do we do when we want to declutter but we can't really part with things? You know what we do. We build spaces where we can move stuff into and hide it so that we don't have to see it, but we still get to keep it. It's a beautiful thing. I was, um, I was in uh, Mozambique, I don't know, 20 years ago or so, and, and a man came up to me and he says to me, in one of the poorest countries in the world, he says, is it true that in America you build these big houses and you fill them up with things and then they get so big that you build little houses and you fill them up with things? And I said, well, you know, it kind of is. <laughs> you know, we have garages and sheds and these sorts of things. Even more than that, self-storage units. You know what these are, these self-storage units? They're like um, a place where you can go. The, the, the bread factory, was it Schwebel? Is that what it was down in Kaga Falls? They turned it, they, a, a, a massive factory into nothing but storage units. They're like lockers. Some are small, you know. Some are like a little closet. Some are like a garage where you can, you can put stuff in. There are in the world 60,000 self-storage lockers. The, over the entire world. 60,000. 50,000 of those self-storage lockers are located in the United States of America. 50,000! 50 of the 60,000 are located right here. It is a 47 billion, with a B, 47 billion dollar annual industry. Storing our stuff. If you took all the storage locker space units, whatever you call them, in the United States, and you stuck them side by side, 2.35 billion, billion with a B, square foot of, of space. That's more than the entire Department of Defense has under roof. And they store airplanes. You know, they're more than every Army base, Naval base, Coast Guard base of the United States all around the world. It would be three times the size of Manhattan 
where we store right now 1.65 million people. <laughs> it's enormous because we have so much stuff. And I think Marie Kondo would say, we don't need more space, we just need less stuff. We need to make room for the things that spark joy. That's her phrase, spark joy. We need to make room for the things that spark joy. We need to make room for the things that really matter. In both the Old Testament lesson and the New Testament lesson, we have a sort of making room for things that matter sort of approach, don't we? I don't know if you are familiar with it, but in the Old Testament passage, 2 Samuel 7, this is one of the key passages in the plot of the Bible. I mean, if you were, if you were talking about the high points of the Bible, how do you take the Bible Old Testament story? Genesis 1, 2, 3. Genesis 12, the call of Abraham. Um, Exodus 12, you know, the Exodus uh, from, from Egypt into or heading towards the promised land. 2 Samuel 7, the establishment of a Davidic dynasty. This is one of the key passages in the Old Testament. David has sort of established the kingdom by this time in 2 Samuel 7. He has, um, he has pushed Israel's borders out further than they ever have been. The economy is roaring. He has, there is more wealth in Israel at this time than there had ever been. The armies are stronger. The enemies are fewer. And he builds an enormous palace. And one day he's out walking around in his palace and he says to himself, this is a pretty lush place, you know, like, I, I'm, do, I'm doing all right. It's, it's pretty posh, as, uh, as our uh, British friends might say. This is a very, a very posh palace that I have here. And somehow he catches eye of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was this tent, this tent where the Ark of the Covenant would be and where the people of God would gather for festivals to, to worship. It's the presence of God in the midst of the people of Israel. And David has an epiphany. Oh my word. I live in a palace, and Yahweh lives in a tent. I live in luxury, and God is dwelling in a mobile tent that can be taken down and moved around and he says, this has to stop. I, I've got to do something. I need to, I need to remedy this situation. He calls in his chaplain, the prophet Nathan. I'm going to build a, a building, a temple, a permanent place of residence for God. And the chaplain says, great idea. This is what happens when preachers speak to people before they actually pray about it. And then the word of the Lord comes to, comes to the prophet Nathan. No, you go back to him and tell him, no, he's not going to build a temple for me. But it's good that it was in his heart to do so. And then God goes on to make a promise through the prophet Nathan that he is going to build something for David. You wanted to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house. Not a house to live in, but an enduring dynasty that will last forever. A Davidic king who will rule over the people of Israel forever. He's coming. Son of David is coming. This is the promise. David had it in his heart to make room for God. And he was blessed because of that. 
And then in the gospel story, the annunciation to Mary of the coming of the birth of the Messiah. An angel visits her, hail favored one, he says to her. She is stunned. She has no idea what kind of greeting this is. And, and the, the angel says to Mary, you are going to have a child. And she says, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. We don't have children. And the angel promises her that it'll be a, it'll be a child from the Holy Spirit, that nothing is impossible with God. And what does Mary say? Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Eugene Peterson translated this in the message. And Mary said, yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. What does she do? She put her life on hold, didn't she? At best, on hold. Maybe shelved it all altogether. She put her plans on hold. She set aside her own wants and wishes and desires. She gave up her hopes and dreams willingly accepted the call of God, here I am, the servant of the Lord. And Mary made room for God. She made room for God in her plans, in her lifetime itinerary. What she wanted to do, she sat aside and made room for God. Metaphorically, she made room for God. But even more than that, literally, she made room for God. In her very body, she made room for the incarnation of the Creator God, the second person of the Trinity, Holy Mary, Mother of God, that she bore in her body the very being of the incarnated God. She made room. David wanted to make room for God. Mary willingly did make room for God. And I thought about the challenge to us this Advent season as we go about our lives and do the things that we do, make the plans that we make, carry out whatever it is we're going to do, which these days isn't much, is it? But how do we make room for God? in our busy schedules, in our plans, in the things that we want to do, even just in doing nothing. Our time, Facebook or television or whatever, sports, politics. We set those aside and make room for God. Do we make room to look and to wonder how long has it been since you took a, a serious look at a night sky? You know, you hear about the, you know, an eclipse or something like that, and everybody's all of a sudden, you know, we're going to look up. It's been there all along. I don't know if you know. All that has been there all along. The magic of the fact that people used to travel by the stars. They were so aware of their surroundings, and we are so squeezed in to a tunnel vision. I was driving through the National Park the other day and the beauty of the snow just heavily laying on the trees. It was just absolutely gorgeous. How often do we miss the very beauty? Oh, it's cold. How do we make room for God, make room for wonder of God's creation? 
What about this? So what about the fact that we live in the well-to-do for far too long? We're very comfortable with the comfortable. How do we make room for the poor and the needy in our lives? How do we make room for people who, who have no connection to God, no connection to spirituality? I wonder about this in terms of mission. How involved would we be willing to be in the lives of people who have no connection to God? Or would we say, oh, those aren't our kind of people? I can tell you, there was a time in my life when I was not our kind of people. How do we make room in our lives for mission? For being concerned about those who are outside of the life of the church and outside of the life of of life in Christ? How do we make room for those who are emotionally needy? Who need our time and attention? Who would love to hear a word of hope or encouragement? Oh, but we're busy. Busy about the things that we have to do. You know, maybe someday we just walk around like David and look around and see how blessed we are. And think to ourselves, how can we make more room for God in our lives? How can we increase this? Yes, of course, God is a part of my life, but how do I make more room? How do I improve the quality of my own life and spirituality? Or like Mary, what can I do? I would even give up my very being, my body, my plans, my life as a way of serving the Lord. Marie Kondo seems to think that um, that we have too much stuff. <laughs> we need to get rid of some stuff. Get rid of some clutter, you know, so that we can enjoy life, enjoy the things that really matter. We don't need to hide our stuff. We need to extricate ourselves from it. And I'm convinced that's true. I have too much clutter in my life. I have too much clutter, literally, but also figuratively. And it's the latter that really troubles me. That my time and attention can be so cluttered with things that don't matter that I somehow miss the things that do matter. And I believe that simplifying my life figuratively would lead to a qualitatively better life spiritually. What about you? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.